You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lelada G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie May May and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie May May and Lakeisha uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. Some information may contain graphic, violent, or explicit language. Listener's discretion is advised. What we have to to keep in mind is, in the early years after the transatlantic slave trade, it was it was illegal for slaves to get together and pray. Thinking about the church being that that place where black leadership was maybe for the first time really organized, really accepted, and really celebrated. Faith was not what you did on a Sunday. It's how you hoped with such harsh realities of having your culture, your faith, your family, everything just. Um, seemingly stripped from your fingers, from your fingertips. You can see black people on different levels of society nowadays than we used to see, but we're not gathering. And I think we've lost something Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not that we all need to have one voice, one experience, but there's something that happens when we are in a safe place where we feel we can express our feelings and our frustrations and our celebrations and our joy. The church has been acting like a fine man, expecting all the holes to come to it. Wow. And let the church say amen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's time just, to collect the offering. You know, I'm I'm the church. I'm here. Come to me. You need me. I'm good. I'm fine. You know, you can take a selfie with me and put it on Facebook instead of the church really reaching out in different ways. And I'm your host, and joining me is Cassie Marzette. Hi, Cassie. Hello, hello. How are you doing today? Good, how are you doing? All right, all right. So our topic today is, we're continuing talking about the civil rights movement. Today we're talking about faith and the civil rights movement. And our in-studio guest today is none other than my favorite brother, Reverend Dr. Alexander G. Hey, Alex. Hey, Lalita. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me back. Yeah, well, just behave well. I'll try. Okay. So he's a senior pastor of Founder Life Church, the founder and executive director of the Nehemiah Center for Urban Leadership Development and Justified Anger, as well as a self-proclaimed angry black man. Okay, well, let's just jump on in. We'll be having some conversation about faith and the church and civil rights and where we are and where we've been and where we need to go. So, so Alex, how important do you think the role of faith and the black church was 
in the civil rights movement of the 60s. And let's specifically, for this first question, just talk about just the role of just being a faithful person, having faith in God. Extremely, extremely important. I mean, what we have to to keep in mind is, um, you know, in the early years after the transatlantic slave trade, it was it was illegal for slaves to get together and pray. Um, um, slaves were, in some cases, according to Jennifer Harvey's Dear White People, um, in her in that book, she said that some slaves were asked to swear on the sacraments that they would not seek freedom. Wow. And so the role of faith in overcoming and transcending um, your situation is, you know, centuries old. Um, and in spite of those things that I call misrepresentations of faith, mm-hmm. um, people persevered and believed that they were more than three fifths of a person. So faith was not what you did on a Sunday. It's how you hoped with such harsh realities of having your culture, your faith, your family, everything just um, seemingly stripped from your fingers, from your fingertips. Well, let me interject there for a moment, because I think it's important to really emphasize the fact that we did not, as black people in my deepest heart, know that we did not gain faith from coming to America and being taught Christianity. No, no. If you look at it, we actually have to broaden it and actually, um, in a very theological sense, in a, in a ecclesiastical sense, we actually define, better define what it meant, mm-hmm. which means it's about community. It's about helping the oppressed, not being oppressors. It's really, it's about coming alongside people who are, who are struggling. So we lived out that faith and, and made it a, um, a clear exp- expression of what I think it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. So then when the civil rights movement um, comes around, the church is already an organizing place. It's the institution uh, in which blacks have traditionally had leadership, ownership, say so. Mm-hmm. So when it came time to organize, that's where it was happening nat- naturally. So it's not mm-hmm. as if the churches came to the scene because the civil rights movement was happening. The civil rights movement was actually able to happen because of the voice of the preacher, the support of the community, the sense that people together could make a better difference. And so it just it was the, the go to place in communities when people wanted to have um, social change. So do you think that the the progress that we did have in the civil rights movement in the 60s, that it would have progressed as much as it did with the absence of the black church? No, I don't. I don't think so, because I mean, keep in mind, in some sense, um, churches, we know it as a social construct. Mm -hmm. It's really the united people believing, you know, having this faith and, you know, in, 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 in God, the son. So that's I mean, that's really the definition of the church. But what happened inside these organizations is that people gathered together because they wanted to bond together to see change that that faith is personal on, on one hand, but mm-hmm. it's also very, very communal. Mm. And so, because it's, I mean, you didn't have, unless you came from a community with some black affluence, you didn't always have black theaters, black, um, 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 banquet halls, um, um, and other places to go and celebrate. So the mm-hmm. churches where you went, it was your social outlet. Mm-hmm. So you'd have morning service and then you'd have a, a, a picnic or a potluck afterwards. And you'd come back and have prayer meeting or evening service because it was where people had leadership when they felt like second or third class citizens during the week. So I think what's, what's happened is 
it was where you brought together your best and brightest minds and agitators and leaders. They mm-hmm. came together in church. So the civil rights movement and leaders were able to drop, in, drop into that space and mobilize those folks. Keep in mind, many of the leaders of the civil rights movement were people who had formal education, um, but they were trained, as we know in our tradition, to give Easter speeches, Christmas speeches. You know how we do it traditionally mm-hmm. in the Black community, how to sing. Historically, our entertainers and our political leaders and our community leaders were trained in church on Sunday mornings by getting up in front of the congregation and reciting a speech or giving a song. So no, I don't, it would not have been where where Mm -hmm. it is without that construct of the church. And so you, you had me think about something in your comments. I'm thinking about the church being that, that place where black leadership was maybe for the first time really organized, really accepted and really celebrated. Mm -hmm. So where you had black preachers having a lot of power, autonomy, um, people willingly following that leader, looking up to that leader mm-hmm. um, as a father figure, um, for wisdom, for advice. As a prophetic voice. As a prophetic voice, connection to God. And so the church, not only just the pastors, but when you look at the church deacon boards, having a really powerful role that played in the church and running the church. So the church at that time was a place where black men could really be powerful. And women. And women. But I'm saying, but as a collective force, it was a place where black men had leadership that wasn't challenged like it is outside in the mainstream. Oh, oh, definitely. Community. You, right. You were you were boy or uncle throughout the week. Right. You'd come to church on Sunday and put a tie on and you'd be brother Alex yes. or deacon Alex or or pastor Alex. It right. Was a, it was a whole different. It was a parallel universe. You right. stepped out of out of the cotton fields and out of the sharecropper shadow mm-hmm. into a place where um, God presided and God appointed spokespeople. Mm-hmm. And so that's why in the black community, um, the pastors were looked at with such reverence mm-hmm. because because in such um, in, in such um, horrible times with so much so many social ills going on, they were the voice of reason, the voice of faith who taught people to stay calm. Don't give up. Let's transcend. We shall overcome. You think about the music and things we did. Mm-hmm. The call was to keep people off the edge mm-hmm. as they waited until their changes came. So quite frankly, I think the opposite was true for black women in the church, because I think in the community, the mainstream community, black women, not that they were necessarily in leadership per se, but they did have a certain um, level of respectability and reverence within the white context. So it might've been Mammy, but she was cooking. She was nursing the baby. She was taking care of the house. And so there's always this soft kind of feel and response. Even if you look at old movies and you hear people's accounts of their mammies, Oh, I have really fond memories of, you know, my housekeeper when I was a kid and all this kind of stuff. My black Nana. Yeah. My black Nana. And so um, there was this kind of soft feeling almost about black women, you know, they were sexual objects as well, but not that same kind of, there was always this kind of fear as this black man was dangerous. We weren't seen necessarily as dangerous. So, but in the church, we weren't, we were there and we were powerful, but traditionally in the black church, black women didn't have a lot of high leadership positions, like in many black churches and some today and some white churches too, women can't be pastors. Women can't preach. Women couldn't stand in the pulpit, you know? So it was kind of a different level of, I think black women led from the bottom up. 
Well, I mean, as, as a person who looks at transformational leadership and community change, that's where most change comes comes from. I mean, it's not leadership in the in the in the head that really brings about change mm-hmm. and validate it mm-hmm. or block it. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes from the ground up. But really, during the Northern Migration, as um, black led churches followed their populations from the feed, cotton fields and from the sharecropping fields into um, the industrial north. The churches followed those populations into the um, housing tenants, into um, um, into the um, projects. Mm-hmm. And so women actually did have a lot of leadership. In fact, that's where the name missionary and those things were adopted because there was so much work that was going on. The women were taking their skills and they were doing after school programs. They were helping to gather the kids. They were nurturing families. They really became the pastoral care. Mm-hmm. Now, the church model society. Mm-hmm. And so um, you weren't seeing a lot of women in corporate leadership, military leadership, business leadership. Um, you know, most were in helping professions like education or nursing. Um, but in terms of practical leadership, in terms of work, in terms impactful of work. impactful work, in terms of like who are talking to the gangbangers, who are talking to the drug dealers on the corners, those were women that, mm-hmm. that was helping those things to, to happen. Did the recognition come? You know, I think we look back at it and we tell the story a little bit more, um, more warmly mm-hmm. of what they did. Um, um, just, just socially, the whole equality thing with men and women has struggled in and out, out mm-hmm. of the church. But in terms of actual movement, where the community recognized these folks as mm-hmm. the leaders, they weren't put in the background. They right, they couldn't stand in the pulpits, but they were bringing people into the church who mm-hmm. the folks in the pulpits could 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 talk with. And so, the black church in the north would not have been, particularly in inner cities, would not have been what it was without the leadership of those black women. So. And I like that. It's just, Um, it's just true. So where do, so the church at that time was a place where black men could gather and feel um, their leadership affirmed, feel their their gifts, their talents affirmed. Um, Where do black men gather now to have that feeling? Because more and more black men are leaving the church and it's, you know, most churches a lot of churches, what about sometimes 70, 80 percent female percent female um, work um, in front of the television. Um, they gather in front of Game Boy stations, happy hour mm. prison. Mm. Um, but the positive places that we've got to find those. I think the men who are the children and the grandchildren of that era. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we become more affluent, we, we sort of question the reality or certainly um, the purpose of God in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so I think as people began to live where they wanted to, integration allowed you to marry, date, work, purchase where you wanted to. Um, I think people really chased the American dream. Um, and they battled um, their delusion with the black church that ceased to be that social um, enterprising civil rights center. It became mm-hmm. a little bit more focused on what could happen in inside. Mm-hmm. And I think we lost those folks. I think the men are dispersed. I don't think there's a centralized place where they gather, but I think a lot have just put themselves into their own personal commerce and working hard. And that's where you find the productive ones and not necessarily gathering places, particularly in a city like Madison, where there's not a right. large enough black population. Except I think you make a very interesting point that they gather in prison. And, and prison is now a place where um, men are in prison and they find themselves in that situation. But there's a whole subculture of leadership and mm-hmm. tears and things like that. Um, so that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. You know, I think also to be fair, 
um, 60 years ago, we gathered at church because we had no place else to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my friends who pastor in California have a tough time because you're competing against good weather, the ocean, the mm-hmm. waves, outdoor games, you know, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here in the winter, you can either stay inside and hibernate or you can go to church. So I, I mm-hmm. think where you have different environmental pressures and enti- and um, things that are enticing you, it changes it changes um, how you really attract folks. I can now belong to the Madison Club. I can go to the YMCA. I can go to the Overture Center. I can be on the board. I can buy good seats. And so I don't have to just wait for Sunday to have a role of leadership. I can write an article and call up, you know, someone and say, would you like to take a look at this and print it? So I think that's a little different yeah. as well, that, that there are different areas of expression. And mm-hmm. so it's diffused the centrality of where black men gather. But leadership is one thing, and I think that's important, and I think that's true. But the gathering, I think there is power that comes in gathering. And I think there's a source of power that is lost because even... Well, they're huddling, and so there's a power when you huddle up. Yeah, because I think you can see black people on different levels of society nowadays than we used to see. But we're not gathering, and I think we've lost something Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not that we all need to have one voice, one experience, but there's something that happens when we are in a safe place where we feel we can express our feelings and our frustrations and our celebrations and our joy about what's going on in life in a way and in a place where people, you feel like people care. Sure. And and in the church, that construct existed. Mm -hmm. There was a building and a preacher and pews and musicians and you walked in the door and it happened like a theater. I don't have to develop film or hire actors. I can just walk into a theater and watch Mm -hmm. a movie. It's set. The infrastructure Mm -hmm. is there. Churches were set so people can walk in. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe in that or utilize that or go there where it's ready made and you don't have the skills to gather people, you really are at a loss. Mm -hmm. So like you're a gatherer. You can call an event at some place or say, let's go, um, you know, let's go get um, appetizers somewhere Mm -hmm. and you can tweet it out. I've watched you do it and people will show up. If you don't know how to do that Mm -hmm. and you're not belonging to someplace like a sorority fraternity or a church, it's very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I think we can agree that the church is not as central to the black community as it once was. And so did we walk away from the church as a people or did the church move away from us? Or did we as a people and our experience in America keep moving forward and the church stay in the same place? Wow. I mean, that, those are great questions. Very it's very layered and a very complex. Mm-hmm. I think the walking away from each other is somewhat mutual mm. because we talk about the church, like it's um, like the media, like it's like, it's an entity that sits someplace and mm-hmm. it has legs and arms and the church is walking around. The church is the people. So when the people who are uh, learned, astute, educated, prepared, walk away, that is the church. The church is not the building. Mm-hmm. So, the, the 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 folks who understand fundraising and development and project management and program management and construction management walk away. We can't say, wow, the church doesn't do those mm-hmm. things anymore. So so we act as if we can walk from the church and the church can continue. My car is still a car when I'm not in it, but it is not a moving motor vehicle when I'm not in it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs a, it needs a driver. Well, it well used Google to, car, right? Google. I don't know. So I think minutes. that's I think that's a great question, Alita. But so I I believe that I can hold the, the church culpable because I'm a part of it. Yeah, I'm also part of society. I think we failed it. I I see that the, the more affluent African Americans become, we just don't do that anymore. Or we go to churches um, that are not predominantly black, or we want to go to church that doesn't talk about the issues. I just want to go feel good, talk about my prosperity, and I don't want to be rallied for anything. I just want to come and just do the Bible, do Jesus, find out how to grow, get ready for heaven. Don't talk to me about the poor. Don't talk to me about traveling anywhere. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to me about mentoring. Don't talk to me about giving. Um, but we still, you know, but 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 we but we want change. Mm-hmm. As much as I complain about taxes, I like that my garbage is picked up on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. I like that snow is removed. I remember those amenities when I look at my tax bill. Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to be a part of something where you contribute, then you can't complain that the amenities aren't there. We will take our resources and our black behinds, walk through the door and complain about the lack of amenities. Where else in society do we pull our resources mm-hmm. and then say, you know, where did the Etzel go? You know, where, you know, where did, where did, um, where did the Saturn go? Mm-hmm. The money left, people stopped buying it. So you can't pull your money and then just get compl- complain because those ones don't exist anymore. They don't exist because of the, because they don't have a customer base. Mm. All right. Let's keep talking about the church situation in the black folks and civil rights. What is the opportunity? I think I'm going to ask you first. Are we moving in the same direction? Are we as individuals, individual black people in society, are we moving in the same direction as the black church? Do we what direction is the black church moving in right now? You know, I think um, like like any institution, we either rest on our laurels or we assess our 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 relevance. Mm hmm. Um, our advocacy in in time and space. Mm-hmm. And I think if you think that we're merely the civil rights church, it makes you think, well, in the 50s and 60s, who did they think they were? Were they a, a sort of a, a, re, a, a, re, a warmed up or um, um, a renewed vision of a version of some older kind of church? I'd be curious to find out what they were thinking. I think we're all concerned about poverty the plight of African-Americans, um, the, the um, a- academic failure, mass incarceration. Um, whether or not churches talk about those things is really tricky. I'm in mm-hmm. meetings sometimes when people talk about we want to be involved in the community, but we don't want to forget about the work of the church. Mm-hmm. And again, the church is a social construct in that sense. It's a mm-hmm. building, it's people. But by definition, it's a group of people who believe the same thing, whether they're inside or outside. So I think we need a broader perspective of what that means. Um, I think that the church teaches transcendence. That means how do you cope now in a very crazy world? And I think many black people are trying to figure that out, which is why we overeat, um, we overdrink, we abuse drugs, we're violent. Um, um, it's hard to stay focused on relationships. Um, we're hidden in many parts of our lives because we want to transcend the hideousness of life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we haven't practiced a level of faith that helps us to do that. I mean, if you go back a generation ago, you know, our mom hit some rough times or found herself in a place where, where faith needed to be relevant. And she reached back on something she had as mm-hmm. a kid. I don't know what folks reach back to if that's never been put inside right. of them. So in that regard, I think we're moving in different directions, but because the church wants to help people transcend and the people mm-hmm. want to transcend, I don't know that the church says we need you to be a transcending agency. And, and I don't know if the, if the people have said, but we need you to care about our issues in mm-hmm. order to be a transcending right agency and and so and, and we all b- believed that because of civil rights and particularly after Malcolm X and RFK and JFK and MLK 
um, you know, um, were all murdered. Mm -hmm. I think many of us thought that this was finished. We took mm -hmm. place of, you know, it is finished. Mm -hmm. And so we went about then buying property in inner cities and in the north and in white communities and people working. And you so know, because I made it, we thought mistakenly that we made it. We made it. So we stopped thinking about the greater good. Mm -hmm. um, so we focused about our individual um, our personal and individual agendas. I mm -hmm. think the church focused on its individual and personal agenda. Mm -hmm. I think we forgot about the community, which was um, had a hotbed of needs and the community, the faith community could have really responded even, even better yeah. as people moved to the North. And so I think our needs can draw us together. We mm -hmm. haven't communicated. We haven't said, let's go back to the drawing board. We haven't had a marketing plan. Well, where have we missed you? Where have mm -hmm. you missed us? And so I, I, it's hard to reconnect because we're trying and we're, we're attempting a, a, an approach to get people in that might've worked 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we're not using the technology or the techniques. Like, you know, not that this makes us hip, but like you're live streaming right now. Mm -hmm. And so there are people who can watch this any time of day. Mm -hmm. We live stream now on Sundays through the same, through the same medium. Mm -hmm. um, but I got a note that someone was watching us from, um, South Africa. Oh, wow. And someone else was in, um, I can't remember, I, uh, was it was it Australia? And then someone in Florida. Mm -hmm. So on a Sunday, people are talking about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a week ago, we just got someone who sent money through an online donation with one of your um, Yes Kids mm. when, you, when you were running youth programs for Nehemiah 20, 25 years ago, mm -hmm. but made a contribution online because they're connecting our, with our Facebook. Wow. If we're not using that media... That was my donation. That was your donation. I need to let you know that because it, it was pretty significant. Yeah. If they were one of my kids, I think I should get that. Thousands donation. of dollars. One of your kids. Wow. Made, seriously. And all, that. In, that in all seriousness. Wonderful. All seriousness. Wow. Um, but if we're not using technology, not for the sake of being hip, but for the sake of being relevant, then we're not hearing back from people and what, what they need. What do you do when people don't sit in your pews and they send you a check that's larger than the people sitting in your pews. Wow. Who do you cater then to? So like this past Sunday, I stopped, looked at the camera and said, for all the people in Facebook land yeah. who are watching this in Florida and Africa, good morning. Who, you got to be able to code switch to do that. Right. I think we have a great opportunity. I'm sorry, I'm going long. We have a great opportunity, but if we don't stop and ask the hard questions and hear the hard response of the community, mm -hmm. we can't respond to our um the church exists because of the community. And if we don't connect with the community, mm -hmm. then we really, we cease to have the right to exist in the way we have. In a very secular um, example, I think the church has been acting like a fine man. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not all fine men are bad, though. So watch, so watch the analogy. <laughs> Present company excluded. Oh, okay, then please carry on. <laughs> yes, but I think the church has been acting like a fine man, expecting all the holes to come to it. <laughs> wow. And let the church say amen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's time just, to collect the offering. You know, I'm I'm the church. I'm here. Come to me. You need me. I'm good. I'm fine. You know, you can take a selfie with me and put it on Facebook instead of the church really reaching out in different ways. And there's some churches that are. There are some ministries that are doing a fabulous job reaching out. And so I, I, I laud them. I love the work that Fountain of Life is doing in a lot of churches in Madison and across the nation. But I think there is... Um, the church is too full of itself sometimes. It act like it doesn't have to buy you flowers and take wow. you out to dinner so and whatnot. I, so I just want to make sure, cause I just, I just blanked out just a minute ago. Did, did you just call the church a pimp in the community a hoe? No, I, I called the church 
Acting like pimpish, fine man. Fine man. Fine man don't have to be a pimp. No, no, I love your analogy. And the whole is just the all of us who might be hurting, who need the church. Definitely, definitely, because really, um, without hoes, they can't be pimps. I mean, it's supply and demand. Yeah. I mean, let's just talk brass tacks here, okay? Let's just talk about economics. <laughs> and so, and you know, it is hard out here for a pimp. It is hard out here for leadership too. <laughs> so, so, wow, wow. I hope our grandmother's not listening to this up in heaven, oh. or our mom at her day center. Yeah. But, but to your point, yes, we. I think where everyone is bending toward its its um, customer. Mm-hmm. Whether it's surveys in restaurants or surveys on planes, you can't, I can't use a credit card without a, a survey coming in. Mm-hmm. We can't live in a vacuum thinking we don't have to ask, how are we doing? How can we serve you right. better? Go to the highways. We learned this in King James, go to the highways and the byways and compel people. Right. So I think that's the opportunity. And also, rather than just, I don't want to just sit on radio and bash the church. Right. But, and you know, you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. I want to help pastors think through that. And I mm-hmm. want people to know that there are pastors who think the way you do, but, but the construct has been so set in our minds that we don't know how to do things that's different. When you and mm-hmm. I grew up, there were hospitals. Now there are clinics that you can go into that are 24 hour right. health clubs. And specialized right. clinics. Especially, this for is your I. gastronal gastric right. right. Gastric am I exactly all of that them. many people Putin? Right. Or you or, or right or or, or or pet hospitals. Yeah. Are so specialized or or health clubs that are 24 hours. We used to go to the Y. So I think the church needs help with its paradigmic shift mm-hmm. in understanding how the community has moved and how to keep, keep up with it because it's a different, different, it's a very different approach. And, you know, you helped me build our, our, our ministry and our route reaching to the community. We knew that we were just as committed to the folks on Sunday mornings as we were to the young ladies in your program mm-hmm. or the young, young folks who are in your employment program, right. who are still paired up with their mentor. 25 years, 25, they spend holidays and things together. Wow. So I think you and I have known that, but we just thought, we were kids. We didn't know what else to do. So let's do community and faith. Mm-hmm. I don't think we realized how theologically and ecclesiologically we were astute wow. in understanding how to do that. And we've got to spend time helping to awaken the faith community to to um, to redefine its mission and its mm-hmm. audience. Absolutely. All right. So we have a question that was called in. It is how to combat the argument of church being separate from state if they're wanting to promote political agendas within the church. So do you have any thought about that? Is the question how we do it or how do we stop doing it? How to combat the argument of church being separate from state. Well, I would, I would, I would say this. You have individuals that are just tied up in life. And so they have political views as a 501 C three nonprofit, non non stock corporation. You cannot support um, a political party or faction. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't have views, and but, but you know, mm-hmm. pl- pl- politicians can come into your churches and actually stump or campaign. We've had we've had them do it over the years. And you, uh, and we've had in our church, yeah, like both parties. We, it's not right, just but, one. Right. But but both. Exactly. Both parties. Um, and, and a pulpit should not be used to tell people how to vote. Right. Um, but creating a forum to talk about the issues and encourage people to vote. I mean, you don't you, you just don't want to be manipulative of you know, of, of, of folks. So right. I think that that piece is real important. However, people do use pulpits to, to tell you who to vote for and why, and try to give you a scripture and stuff. I don't, I don't support that. I mean, the whole idea of separation for church and state is that, you know, one religion can't be promoted over, over another, or the government can't come in and tell you how to do your 
right. religion. Which I think that's what people really miss with ch- separation of church and state. It was to protect the church, not to protect the state. Right. And I think sometimes in this community, we go way overboard. Right. Like for, for non-religious things that we may do in the church, well, there's a separation of church and state. You know, that's talking about on a whole different level. It's not saying a facility that's used for worship can't mm-hmm. be used for a mayoral um, debate because it has been or mm-hmm. for a community forum or um, or community meeting. All right. Okay, good stuff. So um, I'm having a crisis of faith right now in my own walk because it's really hard for me to reconcile the position of white Christians in this current political um, climate. And it's, it's making me question what is the construct of Christianity. I feel strong in my faith and who I am and my relationship with God. But I'm I'm a little bit kind of taken aback by what white Christianity is looking like right now and, and whether or not I'm feeling like I'm part of that community or want to be anymore. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a for instance. I was on Facebook and there is this well-known gospel singer who was um on who was um she put up a fa- a picture on Facebook that said that said um she put up this picture of Jesus with luggage and she said Jesus is coming back to the White House meaning now that Trump is there Jesus is coming back to the White House and then she put up another image where Jesus supposedly it was leaning over the back of Trump as he's writing these freaking executive orders. And this is Vicki Yohe, who is a singer. You know, many black churches love her praise and worship. So uh, she has a huge black following. And, you know, there was a lot of pushback against this, but I think her position is that of many white Christians is that somehow um, Republicans are Christian Democrats are not. And so um, attitudes like that really are throwing me off. So I, is it a crisis of faith or is it a question of people's sanity? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, here's the thing to, to no, maybe not a crisis of faith. I know, I know a, what you mean. A I crisis of the Christian community. Definitely. Definitely. Well, keep this, in, keep this in mind. It's a community of broken people who've been called together. To, mm-hmm. to, to be healed and redeemed as they're being drawn closer to God. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I, we talked about this. We liken it in, um, to a hospital. Everyone in there is sick. Uh, there are sicker people on the streets, but at least these sick folks have, re- have realized that they're sick and they've called 911 or they've gotten there. So I think what we realize is that people are misguided. And, and you know, when you drink this water of supremacy uh, privilege and you think that someone's going to bring about your agenda and you spiritualize it, mm-hmm. You somehow think that the advancement of your prosperity is is the gospel. And we miss mm-hmm. parts of scripture that talks about how you glean, how you bring others along. So we spiritualize certain parts of it. We ignore parts of it that we don't that we don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at the parts that that we do. And I think you really you, I mean, it's 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 sad when you see those things. Mm-hmm. And um, but you just have to think that's, you know, that's that's not accurate. That's the act. Just like the people saying, you know, they've calculated when Jesus is coming back and mm-hmm. we know April 4th and, you know, they're people deluded. Miss they're, right, they miss them, And these folks are missing it, right. you know, uh, a number of times. But what's really interesting is that um, 
when we were fighting for civil rights, we being black people, many white Christians said that's not biblical. Um, the Bible says obey people, obey the rules of the land. Mm-hmm. They thought that we were reprobate. Like, how mm-hmm. could you be trying to 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 um, to combine together civil rights and the Bible? And mm-hmm. and it, it, it's it's a sense of de- it's a desire of a power using scripture because it's highly regarded to put other people down to push your own political mm-hmm. agenda. And it's just it's 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 sickening. And I think people aren't reading the Bible. I think we're missing the core message mm-hmm. of it. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting is, you know, Obama, you know, President Obama had confessed Christian faith for years, but people wanted to make a Muslim. Then you mm-hmm. take someone who has not confessed Christian faith to make them mm-hmm. Christian. You know, white America was trying to make Mitt Romney a Christian. He was a Latter-day Saint. You know, mm-hmm. he's a Mormon. But, you know, but they were trying, you know, mm-hmm. deciding that, you know, no, we don't think Obama is, but we think, you know, we think this other person is, even when they're saying thank you, but don't thank you, I don't want your Christianity. No, really, you can have it. Mm-hmm. We, want, we want to give it to you. We want, we want we want to um we want to we want to put this on you so it it is disheartening mm-hmm. but it just shows the short sightedness the individuality mm-hmm. of individual and just the sheer misunderstanding of scripture and the lack of spiritual acumen yeah but it's 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 it's, it's interesting because as mistakes continue to be made they're going to have to defect mm-hmm. from him mm-hmm. or continue to couch it in christian languages which is which is dangerous which is very very which is very very dangerous but i also think if nothing else um that hypocrisy is being put Mm -hmm. is being put on um on display yes and it gives the rest of us a chance to call it out which might be redemptive so that they understand that all of us think that way Mm, right and so with jesus christ and the hip-hop prophets it was a book that you wrote with john teeter and it used the lyrics of two key hip-hop um, popular hip hop singers, Tupac and Lauren Hill, right. to um, help us to investigate the word of God and the message of God in a very different way than we're used to receiving it. So was the book received well by church folks? By some. Some mm-hmm. people thought, well, you know, why are you listening to Tupac and Lauren Hill and what does that have to do with being prophetic? And really, I was talking about um, the the essence of the book is is a running commentary on what Jesus would say about the subject matter of their music. You know, Tupac and, and Brenda's got a baby talks about sexual abuse and babies having babies. And he's talking about and dear mom about the lack of his of, of a dad. Mm-hmm. And so what does Jesus say about fatherlessness and what does he have to say to the Brenda's and the Brenda's babies of the world? I felt that that was real innovative because people hadn't really thought about that. So mm-hmm. it was a bestseller, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the community. People It sold around the world. Um, um, and yeah, there are people that, that told me to take it off the shelf. You know what? I'm I'm learning. If nothing else, by 53 and having some degree of fruit in my work, you know, I I know when I'm off and when I'm when I'm not. And mm-hmm. um, if I'm doing something right, I'm learning not to cave in because others don't get it. So I've just, I've just learned how to politely tell people, well, you write it differently when you write your book. But since right. I'm the author here. Um, but many people who wanted to find a way to communicate with their children found mm-hmm. it very helpful. It was they felt like it was a bridge to their grandchildren to at least know how to ask them. Are you trying? Are you listening to this? Because it's addressing something that we don't talk about at the family table, mm-hmm. or don't talk about in the pulpit. And one of the points I made was, if the church is not willing to address these kinds of issues that are hurting young people, that we don't have the right to, we do not have the right to criticize them or their music. Absolutely. 
And I know it was very popular with youth ministries in particular, because it is a way to begin to have a conversation. And I think we have to be innovative when we're talking again about how to, how to make the church relevant again. We have to find right. ways to communicate with our young people. So I'm going to need you to start listening to some trap music, <laughs> some Kevin Gates, some future. I'm going to need to like wow. get, your, get your Spotify. Really, I've been I've been out of that world for a while. I mean, this book came out in two thousand three, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to. Um, I'm gonna, okay. I have to get I have to get my you know get my chops renewed. Yeah, I'm I'm down. Yes. Yeah, so Alexandra, <laughs> <I'm down. laughs> Alexandra, my daughter, and Cassie have been. She's my niece. Really, <laughs> very instrumental in cluing me into trap music to the point where I have my own playlist full of trap music, which I just love. Does it trap you? <laughs> It engages me. Wow. Um, and, and Christian has really, my son, um, he's 20. He's really opened me up to a lot of rappers who, whose names I don't remember. But when you listen, <laughs> but it rhymes, but it rhymes. But when you listen to the passion of their words, talking about life, talking about their circumstances and situations, it's things that people aren't going to come into the church and testify about on Sunday morning to clue us into what's going on with the young people. And so I think, you know, staying kind of connected. Well, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. Jesus talked with children and, and women of ill repute. That's the way they said, you know, prostitutes, um, um, you know, um, 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 tax collectors. He was hearing life from their perspective and not just through the ears and the eyes of, um, of the, of the religious sect. He got firsthand experience, um, firsthand, firsthand, um, information, which in research is very, very important. Right. So, so this isn't even, um, um, cool or hip. This is, this is who the founder of the Christian faith did. He went out to the people and listened to them. So, um, a lot of the modern music that we listen to, like a lot of the rap music, the trap music and things of that nature, it's about money. It's about materialism and it's about sex. And so I'm wondering, has this become the new spirituality of, of the black community in some way where the, the gain, I mean, I think like when we think about mama, our grandmother, when she talked about faith, she talked about, you know, wanting to make it to heaven, wanting to please God, wanting to fulfill God's call in her life. And, and these were the things that the generation that we grew up in, in the church, that was their aspiration. Now, so many young people, it's like their goal is money, stuff and sex. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not that either of those are bad mm-hmm. in and of themselves or even all at the same time. Um, oh my! But it just but it just depends on your your approach. If it's at any cost, you know, um, by any means necessary, you're violating people, hurting people because of your sexual needs. You're ignoring people because of your financial needs. If if you're just detaching, it's all about you. I don't care what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you're eating, that's dangerous. If you're just going in your house and walling yourself up away and you're not caring about anyone else, that's dangerous and that's bad. So for me, I think we we think of those things you mentioned as being bad. No, when you use those things to hurt people, use people just to get what you want, and then they're all gobbled up and broken, mm-hmm. that's not how you build community. That's how you destroy community. Right. And so I think anything that makes us individualistic is very dangerous and very sick. And African people, people of African descent, have traditionally held a very um, uh, familial worldview. And as mm-hmm. we have adopted a more Western and individualistic 
worldview, it's hurt our community. Yeah, I don't absolutely. know that it works. I don't know that it works for anyone, but it certainly does not work for black it's people. It's not working for us. Well. We need to start listening to each other. And we need to start listening to something higher than us. Yes. So that we're more focused and more caring and more unified. But everybody out for number one mm-hmm. means that no one, no one's comfortable with being number two. And and if you're number two, you want to be number one. You're trying to snuff them out. So right. it's dangerous. So when God lets you down, trust it again after pain and loss. And so um, this book, you talk about your personal loss. Sure. Of having um, a couple losses with um, early and midterm miscarriages with you and your wife, Jackie, and how that impacted you. You know, but there's other places where we have personal loss and pain. Sure. Where we're trying to find marriage business. Right. Trying to find God again. Um, do you feel like this constant struggle for equal rights as a black person in America has challenged our faith? And do we feel in the midst of this that we're still looking at modern day lynchings? Um, we're, we're looking at inequalities. Do we feel let down by God as a people? Oh, I'm sure we do. I'm, 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 whenever we don't get what we want, we certainly do. Mm-hmm. Um, my theology has broadened because I believe that there's a sense of justice. I think that there is accountability. It might mm-hmm. not happen at every court, at every bench, in every precinct, but there's a there's a reckoning. There is the if I if I believe about God being good and gracious to those that believe in redemption and faith and hope, then I've got to believe that there is a reckoning for those who have taken from the poor hurt people, demean people, and use God's word and name and institutions mm-hmm. to beat people down. Heck yeah, there's a day of reckoning. So if I'm going to believe in all of God, then God's not let me down because God has never agreed to fix it in my timing. That's mm-hmm. where faith comes in. We're sitting here at this station. This is not a black station. You're sitting here because someone believed that one day their granddaughter could sit someplace, but they fought for it like heck in their generation so that you just walk up in ward and say, this is an idea that I have. And no one would say, but you're black and we can't right. do it. Um, but that was faith. But we mm-hmm. can't say because everything else is microwave now. We now need faith to be. Um, I think we've got to adjust. I think as we've got become more affluent, we've become more deified in our own thinking. Mm. We want things to happen at warp speed. And I think the Internet and microwaves and stuff have made us think we deserve right now, not just good. But we deserve the best and we deserve it right now. And that's very, very dangerous because it then again makes us the center of our own universe. Mm. And when things don't come fast enough, you will damn and fight anything that that's impeding that. So, yeah, I think it's very I think it's very natural to feel let down. But that's a human nature. Um, but what I found out is that if I'm going to say that God's let me down and then turn my back, I'm going to need some help tomorrow. Who am I, who am I going to turn to, mm-hmm. you know? You know, the ice cream truck. You know, I'm going to need something to bring me out. Some cheesecake. That was a good conversation. And look, we mean this thing. We are not playing. We are committed to defending black girls. And look, we want you to get involved. Please visit Lalata.org to explore the work that we are doing to defend black girls to be safe wherever they are. And look, while you're there, Please sign up for our mailing list so that you will not miss one single fearless conversation.